0: Welcome to The Investigation, I'm Kira Phillips, along with my co-host Chris Vlasto, senior executive producer of our investigative unit, and also Ali Dukakis, an investigative reporter with us. Joining us now, Roger Stone, former Trump campaign aide and veteran GOP political strategist, and of course, we must add, he is under a seven-count indictment in Robert Mueller's Russia probe. He's also under a pretty strict gag order, so he won't be going into details about the Mueller investigation. But this isn't the first presidential investigation that Roger Stone has been a part of. Let us not forget, he is a big Richard Nixon fan, where at the age of 19, he was interviewed before the Watergate committee. And as we watch John Dean testify on the Hill today, we can't help but ask Roger, what do you make of this? Roger?
1: Uh, I think it calls for a re-examination of uh, John Dean and his role in Watergate. I'm not certain why he was asked to testify today, as I don't know what his expertise is in the question at hand.
2: Well, I think the expertise is that they believe that he was party to obstruction of justice, obviously, 40 years ago, and can shed light on whether or not the president now Donald Trump obstructed. What do you think of that? Is that cable TV stunt or what do you think?
1: I kind of think he's bait. In other words, I don't think he has any firsthand knowledge. He is. Uh, he was an attorney. I believe he was disbarred. He's certainly entitled to give his legal opinion of Volume 2, but I don't think he has any first-hand knowledge.
3: Roger, if asked, would you testify before this committee? Uh, I can't see a circumstance
1: under which my lawyers would allow that. Um, As you know, I am under a uh, seven-count indictment for lying to Congress and related charges. I'm very limited in what I can say, even in this uh, podcast. So I think it is unlikely that my attorneys would allow me to do so.
2: But do you think Congress? Uh, what what game do you think they're playing here, or Chairman Nadler's playing? I mean, why call John Dean? He's not even a real witness. They should be calling you, or they should be calling, you know, many other witness, Hope Hicks, etc. What do you, What do you think? It's like a halfway impeachment, no?
1: Well, he's obviously a media star. He's gotten a lot of airtime talking about this scandal based on his previous experience. So I assume he is testifying in order to bring attention to the hearings. In fact, the House Judiciary Committee asked me uh, through my attorneys for uh, uh, documents and potentially to testify. And we declined exercising my Fifth Amendment rights, given the legal proceedings that I'm facing.
3: Roger, was that in reaction to John Dean coming before the committee? That you were asked. No, it was much
1: earlier. It was much earlier. It was months ago when they uh, sent out inquiries to 81 individuals uh, who were associated with President Trump, myself included.
0: So, like Chris mentioned, when we talk about Dean and you know the belief he was party to obstruction, I mean, couldn't Dean dissect portions of the Mueller report here and make assessments on Trump's conduct?
1: Well, he's a former attorney, so I imagine he could render a legal opinion. Um, I, I did not listen to his testimony, so I can't speculate about it. But I think just by appearing, he has opened up uh, himself to a reexamination. In fact, uh, he, I think, has obscured his own role very substantially. His decision to appear today, I think, opens here in the Internet age particularly, Uh, that whole testimony for re-examination.
3: Roger, you've actually told our uh, ABC chief anchor, George Stephanopoulos, John Dean, I am not. I just wondered if you could extrapolate on that at all in the scope of John Dean's
1: testimony. John Dean testified against the president. I think you can extrapolate it. I point out that those comments were prior to the judge issuing a gag order in my case.
0: Could John Dean say anything uh, to help the Dems build an impeachment case against Trump?
1: Well, again, he's a former attorney. I believe he was disbarred. Uh, he could render a legal opinion, but he certainly has no firsthand knowledge. So I'm not sure, other than the star power of him opening the, the uh, hearings, and the fact that we're talking about him kind of demonstrates why I think he has been called.
3: Roger, one of the Republicans, just to change our sights onto 2020 now, who are the only, I believe, Republican who ha- is uh, currently going to primary President Trump is Governor Bill Weld of Massachusetts, former governor. I know you have supported him in the past and have spoke highly of him. Who will you support if it comes down to the two of them?
1: Well, I have a very high regard for Bill Weld, uh, but I don't know what polls he could possibly be reading. I have seen uh, job approval for President Trump somewhere between 93 and 88 percent. So, I, I just don't see the market. I don't see a Republican primary challenge to the president being successful. Uh, I have an even higher regard for President Trump and the extraordinary job he is doing. Uh, I don't think he has any vulnerability in the Republican primary. I, that's significant because, on a historical basis, uh, incumbents Gerald Ford, Jimmy Carter, who have had significant challenges within their own party, have gone on to be defeated. I really can't see Bill Weld, as much as I like him, uh, having uh, any kind of prospect to be a legitimate challenger.
2: Uh, Do you think impeachment backfires on the Democrats? Can you talk about that?
1: There's certainly no constituency uh, in the country for impeachment that I see. Particularly with a vibrant economy. I mean, you're talking about the creation of six million new jobs, uh, 650,000 manufacturing jobs, wage growth at the fastest uh, pace in American history, African American and and Hispanic unemployment at the lowest time since we have uh, point since we began keeping those statistics. Uh, I just I don't I don't see. Um, there being any fervor in the country for impeachment beyond rabid partisans.
0: So what's Trump's strategy here? What's he What's he do from this point forward? Well, what he shouldn't do is run
1: on his record. I mean, I, I agree with his assessment that there is no obstruction and no collusion. Uh, and uh, I don't think there's any proof to the contrary. Uh, but he should keep it positive and run on his record. He's got a great record to run on. Uh, These new announcements out of Mexico uh, demonstrate um, that the skillful use of tariffs, I don't think he loves tariffs, by the way. I just think he likes them as a tool to try to bring some of the countries who have taken advantage of us in trade matters to the table. and They appear to have been successful uh, employed in that way
3: roger in the democratic uh, ever expanding democratic pool of 2020 candidates who do you think is most likely to succeed
1: um i don't see a winner or a particularly strong candidate in this pack of democrats i think joe biden is an extraordinarily flawed candidate the fact that the iowa poll only shows him at 24 after two terms vice president is a sign not of strength but of weakness Uh, And if for no other reason, because as a legislator, he turbocharged the war on drugs, which in my view has been not only Richard Nixon's single greatest mistake, but an ignominious, racist and expensive failure. Joe Biden is responsible for the mass incarceration of uh, of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of young black men for the first time, Nonviolent crime of possession of small amount of drugs is destroyed families, it's destroyed lives, uh, rehabilitates no one, and of course, it's cost taxpayers millions. I think that is a fatal flaw, particularly for a key constituency within the Democratic Party.
0: Are you going to help Trump in any way during 2020? Uh,
1: I certainly hope to be free to do so. As you know, I have pled not guilty to all charges, and I have vowed to fight for vindication at trial in November.
0: Thanks for calling in, Roger. Thanks,
3: Roger. Many thanks.
0: We're going to take a quick break, but we're bringing in more members of our team, including senior national correspondent Terry Moran, right after this.
4: In one of my last conversations with Richard Nixon, he told me uh, in a very peculiar manner, getting up from his desk in the EOB office, And going across the office and in a stage whisper, saying to me, John, I made a mistake in talking to Colson about clemency for Hunt, didn't I? And I said, yes, Mr. President, that was probably obstruction of justice. When Haldeman and Ehrlichman were departing, uh, they pled with the White House that they be given pardons. I think because Dixon knew he could only compound his situation at that point, that he refused to even entertain uh, the request. Finally, let me close on the note, and I explain this at some length, that I certainly hope Don McGann is a key witness before this committee. Because of my testimony, the model code of the ABA today Uh, makes very clear in rule 1.13 that Mr. McGann represents not Donald Trump, but the office of the president. His client is the office of the president. And I think he owes that office his testimony before this committee. Thank you.
0: And that was a blast from the past. Former White House counsel John Dean, now a staunch uh, anti-Trumper, who helped cover up crimes in the Richard Nixon administration, then became a key witness against President Richard Nixon. And that was the House Judiciary Committee, where he has been testifying that hearing titled Lessons from the Mueller Report, Presidential Obstruction and Other Crimes. Let's talk about it. My co-host Chris Vlasto, Senior Executive uh, Producer of our Investigative Unit, also Matt Mosk, Investigative Producer, and Terry Moran. We always love having you, Senior National Correspondent, who covers all things White House, the Hill, and everything in between. And your historical context is always good, too. So uh, why don't we we start with you? We've been talking about it, and uh, Chris and and Matt as well. Um, You know, what what do we make of John Dean uh, in this hearing?
5: Yeah, I don't know, Kira. I was listening to it, and my my feeling is, you know, l- listening to John Dean talk about the Saturday Night Massacre and Har- Haldeman and Ehrlichman and Elliot Richardson, that's 46 years ago. It would be as if in 1973, during the Watergate hearings, they called witnesses from the administration of Calvin Coolidge. I mean, it's... <laughs> And I'm listening to it and he offers his opinion, which, as you say, is very anti-Trump. He's a famous figure in American history who right now is very anti-Trump. But he offers that opinion virtually every night on Maddow or CNN or whatever. I'm not quite sure what he's what substantively he's offering the committee. He says White House counsel should do this or should not do this. And in his opinion, you know what Trump asked his White House counsel to do was obstruction of justice. I don't know, that and a quarter will get you a pack of gum, it seems to me. I mean, what does he offer, really?
2: Terry, don't you think it undermined the Judiciary Committee? It's like, I mean, if you're ready to impeach or if you want to impeach the president of the United States, you should be calling witnesses that knew about impeachment. Like John Dean was in the impeachment of Richard
5: Nixon. I was in the Oval Office. The president told me I could get a million dollars to pay off witnesses to purchase their silence. Now, that's obstruction of justice. John Dean, who said that 46 years ago, opining today about Don McGahn and Donald Trump, that's hot air. But Terry, is there,
6: just to uh, try and see the Democrats' point of view here, is there a um, a need to s- establish a predicate for calling Don McGahn? Is that the purpose of this, is to essentially say, We are explaining why Don McGahn is critical to to become essentially the John
5: Dean figure in this case. I don't think I think it's for PR because everybody knows that the guy who is in the Oval Office with Donald Trump is a relevant witness. And if he wants to talk about things that are important and can say things that would be, uh, you know, help members of Congress vote on what they want to do uh, all this it's obvious what his value would be you don't need john dean who 46 years ago did something with another president uh tell you that don McGahn is important I, I think it's for public relations they they are trying to bring the country along they are trying to bring americans to their point of view that this is very serious conduct that, that warrants at least an impeachment inquiry if not outright impeachment.
6: Does it does it serve a PR purpose then? I mean, does it achieve what they set out to achieve? No,
5: I'm with Chris. I think it backfires.
2: It Well, it looks but like but a I stunt. Would, yeah, I let's, would argue though too that it exposes Listen, you can th- say what you want about maybe Donald Trump obstructing justice after, you know, uh, by firing Comey and etc. And there's different interpretations on whether or not that's obstruction. But to compare it to Nixon, there were underlying crimes that were found. The collusion was found in Nixon. Uh, and then they obstructed to not find the crimes. In this case, it's almost as if Donald Trump obstructed without a crime. Am I wrong, Terry?
5: No, well, that, that is correct. That that can happen. Martha Stewart went to prison for obstructing justice when there was no underlying crime. The judge found as a matter of law there was no underlying crime, but he sent the, the lying to the FBI to the jury, and they convicted her of it. So don't lie to the FBI is the, is the answer on, on that. But uh, it is harder. It's also harder because, remember, you have to prove intent to obstruct justice beyond a reasonable doubt. And uh, Donald Trump, I mean, if you're a prosecutor, would you take the case to trial when Trump could say, I knew I was innocent of collusion? That's why I was angry. That's why I wanted to stop this investigation, because it was ruining the presidency that the American people and the Constitution gave me to do good things for the country. Of course I was angry. It's a little more
6: muddled than that, I think because of uh, what happened over the last few weeks where uh, Mueller himself came out and seemed to indicate that he simply could not indict the president for crimes because of the rules of the justice department. So it, it leaves sort of unanswered the question of whether there's an underlying crime or there isn't because he says he wasn't capable, that that was Congress's job to to take that on.
5: Well, uh, the, the, he he could not say whether or not there was obstruction of justice, because while he found evidence uh, that could be interpreted as uh, demonstrating obstruction of justice, the underlying crime, did the president conspire or coordinate with Uh, elements of the Russian government to attack the American election in various ways. Mueller cleared him on that.
0: Back to uh, Don McGahn and and Nadler addressing uh, that with with John Dean, asking if uh, McGahn has a legal obligation to appear before the committee. Uh, Let's take a listen.
1: Do you agree with the White House or does Mr. McGahn still have a legal obligation to appear
5: before the committee? And if so, why?
4: I have also read the OLC opinion of May 20th that says that a uh, White House employee or a former White House employee has total immunity from testifying or appearing before Congress. That pushes the outer limit uh, further than I have ever seen it pushed. And while they cite me in that memo uh, for two memos I received. Both of those instances, the witness did appear. Uh, the Flanagan memo, for example, uh, it was arranged that he would, he would come to Congress. In other instances, uh, when Henry Kissinger was asked to appear, we found a middle ground to have a meeting in Blair House. So there are solutions to this if the parties want to c- cooperate. Uh, so I think this is a smokescreen at this point and i hope that the uh, committee will pierce it because i think it's important
0: smoke screen is that fair
5: well, I think it's a, a classic battle between uh, the executive that doesn't want uh, anyone from the executive to talk to the Congress and the Congress who has to do its job. And I think he said something very important. He said there are solutions to this if the parties want to cooperate. That is the way, those kind of informal arrangements, frankly, that we just saw between the House Judiciary Committee and the Department of Justice over the redacted portions of the Mueller report, some of which are now going to be made available to the committee as they specified their request, they negotiated, came to an agreement. I think McGahn has got to come before the committee at some point by hook or by crook. And my hunch is most Republicans would agree with that, not necessarily on the committee, but in the country. You go to Trump rallies and ask people, should all this come out? They believe in Trump, but they are Americans, fair amount of Americans. They, they say, sure, let it all come out in the wash. Let's hear it. And if this is the guy who was in the room when the alleged crime of obstruction of justice happened, he, ha- he should come before the public and testify.
6: It's kind of a big gamble by the House Democrats in a way, Terry, isn't it? I mean, there's no assurance that when Don McGahn gets there, he is going to paint a picture that is uglier or worse than the picture that's painted in the Mueller report. He could actually clean it up for them. He could.
5: Uh, you know, clearly one of the reasons that he uh, that he spoke to Mueller and and uh, the Mueller's team is his own potential legal jeopardy. In other words, he was worst casing, worst case scenarioing <laughs> 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 everything Trump told him and and putting it all out there to say, look, I am coming completely clean. Now, under questioning, might say, sure, I told Mueller that, but you know. There were a lot of things going on. Trump was furious that he wasn't able to get negotiations with North Korea, you know, front and center before the American public or whatever, because of an investigation that he knew uh, he was he was not involved in any kind of conspiracy with Russia. I mean, McGann, you're absolutely right. Might might do that or might go the other way and say, boy, I really felt the heat from that guy. Uh, Either way, he's the critical witness because he, after all, is the counsel, was the counsel in this White House, not the White House of Richard Nixon, who's been dead 20 years now and more. I mean, I just don't get the John Dean thing. I really don't.
2: Well, Well, I also know that I think Kellyanne Conway, and I believe she has a point, said if Don McGahn had such a problem at the time when this obstruction was going on, why didn't he leave? You know, that he stayed on 15 months later. Uh, and so he's got to answer why. Yeah. And, and and that's maybe an answer that Jerry Nadler is not going to want to hear, because actually that's the way administrations work. And I advised him and he accepted my advice. I don't know if he's going to say that, but it's very possible. It's a fair argument to make. It- it is. And I just have to say one thing about the
5: whole Watergate thing and the underlying crime. You know, Watergate was a gigantic criminal conspiracy being operated out of the White House. They were paying cash to buy silence. They were manipulating agencies of the government to block a criminal investigation. Uh, they were perjuring and encouraging perjuring, writing the script from perjury from the West Wing of the White House itself. The attorney general of the United States went to prison. Another attorney general of the United States went to jail. The secretary of commerce went to prison. You know, the head of the uh, head of the president's reelection campaign went to prison. The White House counsel went to prison. The White House chief of staff
0: went to prison. We aren't within a country mile of that. So when it comes to John Dean's credibility, (laughs) you know, in light of everything you just said, is he the one that should be testifying right now? I mean, he
5: brings some historical perspective. I, I, I think it's interesting that, that he could support McGahn's testimony. If he got McGahn in, Dean could come in and say, you know, uh, that sounds an awful lot like the kind of lines that Richard Nixon was crossing. I mean, I suppose. But even that seems somewhat distant. It, it just the Democrats job here is to build a case uh, with the American people that this needs further investigation, perhaps to the level of impeachment. The American people are already think they know the story and they're kind of exhausted by it. So the Democrats have got to lay out facts, damning facts that that indicate that Congress must take up this responsibility. Those facts are there if you want to look at them in a certain way in the Mueller report. These hearings, it seems to me, should be about dramatizing them, not with not with a witness from 46 years ago, but but with witnesses from today. Now, Dean, you know, was an active participant. He, 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 did, he was convicted of obstruction of justice. He was part of the cover-up in Watergate. And one of the only reasons that he decided to flip and turn against Nixon is because he'd feel the noose around his neck. He was going to be the fall guy. And, he, and so he was saving his own skin. It wasn't entirely admirable. Uh, but, you know, I, I got to tell you, I remember watching those hearings because I'm old enough to remember Uh, My dad, you know, was was not a fan of Nixon's. He was watching it. My dad had a photographic memory and he was listening to John Dean testify about the meeting in the White House where he tells Nixon there's a cancer on the presidency and we'd need a lot of money to buy the silence of these guys. And Nixon says, how much? And John Dean says, well, he just plucks a figure out of his head. He says, a million dollars. Nixon says, oh, we could find a million dollars. And my dad is listening. He says, that guy's a photographic memory. I know he's got a memory just like mine and sure enough the tapes come out and it's almost verbatim that that conversation and many others so dean's credibility uh, his motives can be questioned because he was trying to save his own skin but the tapes proved his memory solid
0: And that's it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Please be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a rating. And remember, new episodes drop every Tuesday. So thanks so much to our producers, Caitlin Fulmer, Trevor Hastings, and Emily Ruchelski. And we'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Investigation.